And so we ask ourselves, will our actions echo across the centuries? After many technical difficulties, we finally have the full house here. So we got myself, obviously, Gio, and then uh, if you guys want to go around and introduce yourselves, tell us who you guys are. We can start with Brent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, appreciate you guys uh, having me on tonight. My name is uh, Brent0331. I run the Brent0331 YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, my background is United States Marine. Been a Marine for 21 years, combat veteran in Iraq and Afghanistan, a sergeant major. And uh, my YouTube channel is primarily about small unit tactics, camouflage, firearms, gear and equipment, everything essentially grunt related. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, I've been watching your YouTube since before I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> same, same. I was like, I was like in high school, like watching it, yeah, leading up to basic. So it's kind of like surreal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's it's crazy how how many comments I get like that, and it's like, yeah, goddamn, am I that old? And then I talk to Doc, and I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> damn you! I was gonna burn you, and you you, you burned me, burned me instead. I was like, oh yes, this is great. All the young guys looking at Brent, going, damn, you're old. And then you just reminded them that I'm older than you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I was in when Jesus Christ was still a corporal. Um, uh, and so, yeah. Uh, so I'm Doc Larson or Dr. Christopher Larson. And I have a very unique YouTube channel called Christopher Larson. Uh, so uh, like Brent, um, so, you know, we met in one Shepherd Leadership Institute. So I'm one of the founding members of of that and i'm sure that'll come up in this discussion here in a bit so we'll get more into one shepherd but um uh old army infantry nco uh and let's see what else and then wound up getting out and doing a whole lot of contracting uh but between contracting and one shepherd it's led to quite a few books um and more coming still so most like there's a bunch of books out there but that that i've authored but the the main ones that people are like the wowee factor is that I, um, the lightning press, the smart book series, the battle staff, smart book, the leadership smart book. I authored the small unit tactics, smart book, or what's called the set smart book. It's on its third edition. And I've offered a couple of their op four series, the, uh, op four, three red team army, right, Soon to be called Russian military and also op four five, which is your hybrid and irregular warfare. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of my background is, is just a great big nerd. Um, <laughs> I have two of your books in front of me right now. No, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I got the uh, the Suts 3 smart book, and it's got a bunch of tabs on it and annotations. And then uh, the Op 4 5 smart book on the irregular hybrid threat. That one I haven't opened up, though, yet. All right. Well, let me know. Let me know it's what on the stack. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's good that you don't have Op 4-3 then because I shouldn't be saying this, but I'll go ahead and say it publicly. Uh, the publisher just called me like several weeks ago and said, all right, we both hate it, but with everything going on in Ukraine and, and Russia, he's like, this winter we need to rewrite it. And I was like, I knew that was coming. So it's going to go in for its third edition. It's on its second edition right now, but look for that about middle of next year, I would guess. 
You should have Gio help you because his uh, his name online is Op for Raider. <laughs> he's he's literally the Op for. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice. it's uh, you know, just got stuck at the right unit at the right time, I guess. And last but not least, Joe. Uh, yeah, what's up? Uh, I don't have a cool story like these guys. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I'm just here. I follow them around and uh, I try to, I try to soak up what they have to tell. You're well, cool Joe, by you association. Go, you go yeah, to Shepherd, man. You, you do all this stuff. I mean, yeah, no, that, well, yeah, these guys are, uh, you know, these guys are like our mentors in a way. But I just wanted to make sure, you know, they get in here, all right, all right. So I had to, I had to, you know, make sure they're all good to go. Well, they're in here now, so you can leave. So, yep, all right. See you guys later. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. So um, let's get right into it. So One Shepherd, you describe it as a leadership course. Would you say there's anything in the military that approximates One Shepherd, like in terms of like the layperson um, for, for a million and a half reasons now? You've got a lot of guys that don't want to join the military. Some of it is, you know – a reasonable answer and other times it's just an excuse, but um, I guess yeah. my question is like, what would you compare one shepherd to if you had to, or, okay. or if it has no comparison to by all means, I mean, right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let the other two um, also chime in here, but I would say it this way. I would say that the military has absolutely nothing and I mean that sincerely, at least within a certain lens, it has nothing like one shepherd. It never has. It probably wouldn't, if we're going to be honest, it probably wouldn't even suit the military very well to try and do something like one shepherd. And the, the bottom line of that, in my estimate, is that one shepherd is so much better than anything the military could ever dream up in terms of education and training. So, I mean, just just so much better. And I can sit here and give names and anecdotes of combat experienced Army and Marine infantry who will tell you that. I mean, they would sit right beside me and say, yeah, screw that. The military's got nothing on One Shepherd. Now, having said that, the military also wants nothing like One Shepherd. I mean, why, why would the military need a bunch of like weirdo geek monk type scholars you know, what, what would they do with them? You know? So that's what one shepherd is. Now the flip side, the, the question for all those other guys is, well, then why should I come to one shepherd? It's that the one shepherd has a bunch of things that the military has, but not vice versa. Here's what I'm saying. That's a convoluted way of saying this. One shepherd is a little bit of the school of the infantry, um, a little bit of ranger school, and a buttload of NCO academies and like officer infantry basic course. I mean, it is just, it, it's just loaded with leadership stuff, but yet has a whole lot of school, of the infantry and um, ranger school in it as well. Now, then as soon as you hear that, people are like, wow, so you starve people and beat them to death. No, no, actually we don't because all of those military schools. Okay. You lost by, me there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, they train by right. they, they train by attrition, and they need to. Because here's the thing. What if this dude can't make it? And one shepherd says, what are you talking about? Make what? We have no real-world mission. Make what? And, of course, all the Marines and soldiers say, you know, make the mission, man. What if they die and fail and, and fail for their brothers? And we're like, okay, once again, 
what are you talking about? One Shepherd has no real world mission. All we have to be good at is teaching. So we don't, we're, we're, that monkey is off our back. And I understand why the military, I'm, I, I'm apologetic for the, for the military. They have to train by attrition, which is, it just absolutely sucks. It sucks to suck. Um, it's horrible, horrible, horrible education. And, and yet it's necessary for them. No, we do exact opposite. We are, we are a photo negative to the military. When you feel like failing, we're all like, hmm, we want to keep you in the training as long as possible. Do you think you can make it two more hours before you die? I think I could make two more hours before I die. Good. Let's go two more hours. And right before you die, we'll pull you out, you know, hit you with, I don't know, CPR or something. Um, the point is that we, we really are trying to keep people in the program. And so the program is um, 42 days of no kidding, in the field, paint your face green, carry the machine gun, get on the radio, op orders, after action reviews, you, you name it. You're just, you're just doing all that. You're doing mission plan at small unit tactics because, uh, you know, we need to immerse you in something in order to create leadership um, opportunities, command opportunities. And so in order to do that, we have to teach really authentic military tactics, small unit tactics. Um, otherwise, you're just faking it. Um, and so I got to get you to that that leadership decision-making exercise in Sticks Lanes and then again in the FTX. And it's got to be pretty brutal. But we're trying to make you successful. We're not trying to weed you out. And so in 42 days, what that is, is it's seven days. You'll be exhausted. You will. You will just be done in seven days. And then we send you home. And most people go home for about six months and then they come do another seven days and then they're exhausted and they're done and they swear us off and they're like, I'm never, never, never going back. And then they come back in six months and this goes on and on for about three years after six semesters, that's 42 days, they graduate our program and they go on to the most cool stuff, wonderful stuff. A handful of them will go on and become staff officers at our company or regiment level and, um, uh, you know, another handful will go on to become black hat cadre instructors. We'll invite them in. And there's whole other programs for the uh, battle staff program and the cadre development program. That, that, that's outside of our flagship program called the warrior leader program. That's the 42 day program that I'm talking to you about. And so in an overview, and I'll stop talking, that's what one shepherd is. And again, its only mission is to be just awesome education, just, just as best education you can possibly get. That's its mission. So from the start, was it designed to be what it is or did it start as something smaller and then you guys kind of added on and added on until you have what it is now? Yes, that. It, it started just as a bunch of nerdy high school boys. I was 14 at the time, literally looking at each other going, what's this thing everybody calls tactics? And we're like pulling out FM 7-8 and trying to, you know, jungle warfare. And we're trying to figure out what all these things even mean. And I was an army brat. Unfortunately, there were a few soldiers and a couple of Marines who came over and said, Oh my God, you guys are doing it all wrong. Let me show you. And then they would point us in the right direction. And so we just kept playing these war games. And, um, by the mid 19, you know, that's in 81. And by the mid 1990s, there were so many of us coming back from, particularly from army and Marines, a bunch of us NCOs sitting in somebody's basement, cleaning weapons and drinking beer and said, all right, they demanded a, they demanded a training regimen 
So let's just go ahead and build into the leadership school we always knew it was. And that's what happened in 95. And it never looked back. Oh, cool. So what I find interesting is that the uh, the Warrior Leaders course leads up to battle staff training, which I think is, um, at least for like, you know, call it whatever you want, the soldiering community or, or uh, preparedness or, you know, civilian like armed citizens whatever you want to call it i feel like that's something that a lot of guys can't really wrap their heads around so at least on instagram uh you'll see a lot of these guys and they fixate heavily on uh you know individual and then team and then squad and we're not really seeing a lot of the 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 higher echelons or more of like what we would call traditional maneuver warfare right so right it's all like battle drills and it's kind of it's kind of cool to see that there are some places that are offering like that next level i know because it's 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 scarce uh, i was having a conversation with someone a few weeks ago <clears throat> and the question is okay could you could you get a group of random guys off the street and make them into ncos like make them into you know an e5 sergeant yeah we and, were talking about that in, that, in a group there yeah. was like four or five of us that were talking about that. And it, it's it's starting to become evident that they might not be – like you can kind of – I'm not going to say fake the fun, but you can kind of force it with dudes like training with each other and making sure that you know guys get reps as leaders. You can kind of get almost like a pseudo experience. I wouldn't call it like an NCO, but maybe like a senior specialist type of experience. Yeah. But, but there's no – there's no good way to make your second lieutenant. And okay. okay, so I'm going to sing one shepherd's praises. And guys, take this with a bit of grain of salt. If, if I'm taking a bow too deeply, um, let me go ahead and dispel a myth. And a myth is that, hey, Doc Larson started one shepherd. I did not. There was a bunch of people in that room that started. Hey, Doc Larson started and turned it into a school. Again, not true. There's a slew of NCOs and a couple of officers that were in the, that room that day. Um, and, and ever since then, it has been nothing but some of the wonderful people like you have right now on uh, this podcast with us. Uh, come on, Sergeant Major Brent Downing, for Lord's sakes. You know, I, I don't want to take too much of a bow when he's standing right next to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, there's this myth that I did all this. It's just simply not true. That said, I'm willing to sing its praises because it is the Herculean effort of just countless of officers and NCOs from all four branches, even foreigners, uh, 25 nations worldwide. So even foreigners and foreign NCOs, foreign officers have helped build this over the last 42 years. We just finished our 42nd year. There, there's no way I did this on my own or any, it, that's just, it, I, I'm flattered, but it's ridiculous. And so, it's, uh, it's all volunteer, say, right, Doc? It, all volunteer, no pay. No one's ever received a dime. It's not allowed. Um, and I, I, I'm going to keep it clean and not tell you, um, the direct quote, but as one of our black hat cadre instructors said, Hey, I, I don't need you to pay me. I don't need one shepherd to ever pay me the same way. I don't need anybody to pay me to make love to my wife. It's, it's something I enjoy. Doing. <laughs> so, um, so, but, but to get back to what you were saying, when one shepherd graduates you, um, we initially said probably around circa, 20, uh, 2008, 2010, we said, we guarantee that you are a squad leader of a light infantry, or excuse me, we didn't say infantry, of a light fighter unit 
that can conduct ranger type raids and patrols. So that's what we said, squad leader. And then people quickly pointed out, yeah, but we actually do some platoon on platoon. So a lot of people actually serve. They graduate by serving in that platoon sergeant, platoon leader position, doing the same thing. And I said, well, of course, because our squad, one shepherd squad, has three maneuver, not by accident, has three maneuver elements, three fire teams. And so when you're up at, and I'll let Brent talk to this, when you're up and, and you're moving our 46-man um, platoon, you've got three maneuver um, squads below you. And so you go, oh, okay, well, hold on. Well, guys, it's it's not hard, though we don't do it. Come on, if you can be a platoon sergeant and platoon leader and plan these missions, execute these missions, come back and do AARs with your teams for team improvement and record all of that, literally come back six months later and do it again. If you can do that at the squad, maneuvering three teams, and the platoon level, maneuvering three squads, and then you know you can branch up pretty quickly up to that company level and maneuver three um, platoons. It's supposed to be scalable. That's the way it's designed. So what I'm saying in effect is when you graduate one Shepherd's Warrior Leader Program at, uh, at three years, you're essentially, we could push you into a company. At least our, I will say, at least our sharper, um, our sharper tools um, those guys are good gear. We can stick them right into a company command level and they'll do, they'll, they'll do swimmingly. They will just do swimmingly. So when we say, well, what do you mean when you go onto a battle staff, we are actually trying to breathe life into what we're calling the ALPIS, uh, it's operational warrior leader program. And that will be a two year program. And it's the command and general staff college for everyone. It will be a four semester, wow. four, four semester CGSE. And you bet, we're going to start with Napoleonic Battle Staff. You get into Maneuver Warfare, uh, Mission Command. We do all of those things. So um, we already do. We already touch in that in the Warrior Leader Program. But we're going to take that one weekend that I just mentioned, and we're going to blow that into full four semesters. So, yeah, we do get into operational level. You will be, you know, running your S5 comms, uh, you know, as a, as a PAO, um, running, you know, MISO, IO. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's crazy to me, too, that, you know, I didn't realize how old One Shepherd was um, and that, you know, it, it seems like there's kind of a resurgence now on the whole, like, gun community or, like, the tactical community, whatever you want to call it, where before it was very individual and, and, you know, guys were just starting to get, like, ARs and stuff like that. And then, you know, more recently it's been more on a shift of, okay, now – now we maybe should prioritize getting body armor and some of this better equipment. And then the more recent thing has definitely been like getting together with groups and all that. But yeah, we were talking before this on, you know, I was saying like before I even joined the Marine Corps, I was watching Breno three thirty one videos and like the, he, he, you have like the infantryman's guides that I was watching and I was like, you know what, this stuff is cool, but I don't, I don't think that outside the military, this is really applicable. And then, uh, you know, I joined and then I, and I'm, I'm, I've always been in the reserve. So between times where I've been in the field or doing whatever, I'm like, man, this stuff is fun. Like I want to, I want to find a time to do this. And so that I have a couple friends that were into guns and stuff and try to get it with them. And, and then before you know it, like I kind of have a group built up, but I think that, um, you know, one of the points to what Gio had said on, on how you have a lot of guys that are decent at like the squad level, um, or even the fire team level is, is leadership not necessarily getting with a platoon or company or whatever. I think that one of the problems is just that that's all you really have for the most part is just all these little fire teams and squads spread out 
with no connection, right? Like you For can sure. have a you can have a company commander, but if he's only got one or two squads that don't even know who each other are, or he doesn't even know who they are, it's there's no point for him to be there. So I think that that's one of the things too is like the the networking aspect, which it seems like one shepherd would be a good place to go to meet other like minded people like that and start sort of build your own personal network. Uh, well, I I will absolutely agree with that. I I want to you know kind of like bunt it off to uh, Brent who's listening patiently and kind of gather his thoughts on 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 what you just said you know the networking aspect of it but also the leadership you know how do you ascend through the leadership um uh excuse me the leadership uh levels you know because that is that's very much when you go through our leadership program for example the light leaders course we we call that monkey see monkey do it's your procedural leadership and we don't mean that as a despairingly it is really process, you know, BAMPSIS and troop leading procedures, how to do PCCs and PCIs, pre-combat inspections. How do you write combat orders, everything from, you know, a mission order to a, com- um, a uh, operations order to a warning order and a fragment, you know, fra- frago. We go through all of these things. And, and when I'm saying we teach it, no, 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 that's not good enough. The thing about One Shepherd is I, it doesn't mean jack what my instructor knows. The instructor is not the most important person in the room. It's the warrior that's the most important person, specifically the warrior leader. And so we need to see them do it. And, you know, they get there and they're like, well, I've never seen an operations order before. Good, because you're writing one this afternoon and then you'll be leading the mission tonight. And then you'll be doing an after action review at 2300. And they're like, what's an after action review? Glad you asked. Here's how you do that. You know, so it's it's definitely there. But again, I'll shut up and let Brent talk some. (laughs) Hey, no, no problem, Doc. Uh, I've been enjoying listening to you, man. And uh, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with a hammer uh, in terms of uh, One Shepherd. But I'm also going to, you know, say that, hey, One Shepherd is, you know, what you make of it, right? So it's like, you know, we talk, hey, yeah, it's a, it's a warrior leader school, right? It's a leadership school. We're developing you into that warrior leader. Um, but at the same time, maybe, maybe some dude just wants to go there and he wants to take part and see what one shepherd's all about. And he just wants some, uh, small unit tactics training and he wants to take part in a field training exercise. Hey, you know, by all means, man, go there your first semester. You're going to be a rifleman in a fire team, right? You're, you're going to learn the basics. And then, uh, when it comes time to do the situational training exercise and the, you know, the culminating event, the field training exercise at the end of every one shepherd semester, you're going to serve as a rifleman in a fire team. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to have, you know, three other guys, you know, right there with you. One of them is going to be a a team leader. And that's probably going to be his first time ever leading a fire team in the field on a real mission against a real op for a living, breathing opposition that wants to succeed just as much as you do. Um, Most people have never experienced anything like that. Uh, and even guys in the military might not have experienced this, right? Because of the military, a small percentage is infantry. And uh, even guys that are in the infantry, how often do you do FTXs against, you know, an op four? You know, it's they don't they don't do enough force on force, um, even in the infantry. I remember I can't remember how many years ago this was, Doc, but I remember sharing a white letter with you where the actual commandant of the Marine Corps came out and he's like, "Hey, we're not doing enough force on force." We need to be doing force on force. You know, every time we go to the field, we need to have a freaking, you know, op four element engaging in force on force training, uh, you know, sharpening each other's freaking spears. And uh, you go to one shepherd, they use miles gear. We haven't even talked about miles gear yet. No, 
to my knowledge, other than SNS training solutions, there just isn't any other uh, training institutions out there that are using this miles gear, the same type of equipment that's used in the U S military. And, uh, yeah, it's not a perfect system, but I would argue it's the best possible system for this type of training, right? Like what other training simulation can you use where you can engage targets out to, you know, 500 meters, right? Real, re- realistic, small arms engagement ranges. Um, so what is one shepherd? Well, in a, in a nutshell, yes, it's a leadership institution, but it's also what do you want to make of it, man? Do you want to do you want to go there? Do you want to do the whole leadership track? End up becoming a freaking green hat or black hat instructor in the end? Uh, by by all means, man, one shepherd is your oyster. <laughs> freaking come out there and uh, go the go the whole gambit. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're a civilian, you work in an office cubicle, or if you're a prior service military guy. They they all go there, and. Uh, you know, you'll go out there and if you're a civilian and you've never been exposed to small unit leadership and tactics and everything else, like I'm telling you, it's, it's the perfect place to go. And if you, uh, you know, we're, we are a very big proponent, at least most people that go to one shepherd, are very big proponent are armed prepared citizens, you know, serving in those citizen militias. And a lot of times at the, uh, training semesters, Hey, we'll have a joint FTX with the Missouri militia or the, uh, Virginia militia, they'll come out and they'll be the blue four against a one shepherd op four in the FTX. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a better way if you're, you know, one of those armed prepared citizen, you know, citizen militias wanting to get some, your basic guys, some training, Hey, send them through some one shepherd semesters, man. (laughs) You know, we're not going to spend all day sitting there learning about the AR 15 rifle. No, you get there, they give you like an hour talking about the AR-15 and then the next thing you're new, you're doing, you're moving on to uh, small unit tactics, right? Learning how to move in a formation. What, a, what's the difference between, you know, a column and a wedge formation or line formation, uh, hand and arm singles, things of that nature. And they just slowly progresses from there. So it can't be overstated enough how important the force on force component is. It is one of the like trickiest, like, like you guys have miles, uh, and well maintain miles, I might add. For sure. And I've so uh, my first unit in the army was an opposing force unit over at a JMRC at Hohenfels. And I ended up doing 13 rotations there, you know, basically, you know, anywhere from two weeks to a month and a half long FTX. Uh, and then I got to my second unit and we never did it. And it was such a staggering difference. Just you could see it in these soldiers and you know all the guys in my platoon and all the guys in the, the three companies, you could see just how impactful that force on force training is. So every time there is an organization that can do force on force, be it miles or, you know, simunition or blank fire, or whatever sort of even paintball, whatever, as long as it's maintained and kept you know, given like the respect or as long as you're respecting the topic and not really devolving into like a game, it, it really is such an, important tool because like you said it's a it's a living thinking breathing you know foe who has his own motivations right so it could be as easy as i don't want to get shot because then i lose or it could be you know simunition is i don't want to get shot because it hurts or a pride thing or you know whatever have you but one thing i do like because i've watched your videos on one shepherd um brent like you're like in the field stuff. One thing I really like about it is it's not 
I'm sure you you guys have seen it in the military, but it's not like half cocked op four. It's very much an op four that has their own motivations and mission set to achieve. Uh, and I, I I love that you guys do that because it's it was so sad seeing in military exercises guys run an opposing force that was like you're going to shoot a magazine in full auto and then you're going to die in place and it's like you are not like you're just running <laughs> guys through the motions you're not actually getting they're not they're not seeing what a true adversary would act like because a true adversary isn't just going to stand there and shoot i mean or maybe right. you will. i don't know I, I, no no i i so that's the, what what the uh what the army often will call a dedicated op for and don't get me wrong that's not a dirty word um, because if you have a trained, they know what they're doing, dedicated op four, this is um, this is akin to like, think about your martial arts, right? And you have the guy who knows how to block and give you just enough um, resistance that it makes you think through each step. So a dedicated op four um, can be a powerful learning tool. But let me be very clear. A, a dedicated op four is not an op four. It's a dedicated op for. It's a senior guy who could kick your butt in because he's like a triple black belt and you're this little green belt. And he's going, no, I'm just going to give you enough resistance so that you go through the proper process. An op for, you know, you almost can get rid of the word op for. It's team A. It's platoon A fighting platoon B. And platoon A has its mission and wants to kick platoon B's ass. And platoon B has their mission and wants to kick platoon A's ass. There's no one is better. Oh, this whole platoon, this whole op four platoon over here is all the instructors. No, that's just not the case. In fact, if anything, I'll say, I'll toot our own again and say, One Shepherd's one of the only schools in the world that I know of, and probably the only one outside of the military, who turns the school over the last three days of every single semester the the instructors just essentially go away that's a bit of an overstatement but essentially they just go away and the leaders run the school why because one is in one platoon one is in the other platoon and they just go at each other's throats you know but that's the whole point is that they're not being a dedicated op for that is supposed to die in place you'll never see that at one shepherd it just, it just won't happen they they are they're not instructors they are the you know the warriors and the warrior leaders just like you and they want as much out of it as you do so you're right it's um i'm i'm dismayed that the army changed i don't know when we lost that um it's not like i want to say when i was in everything was you know peaches and roses but the emphasis on force on force and the emphasis on op four uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s was monumentally different than it is now. And it's it's heartbreaking to see that loss. But the good news is, the you know, the Marines and the soldiers that came to One Shepherd and helped build this curriculum said, nah, we're not bothering with that silly crap that, you know, that the military is doing. We're, we're keeping the old ways. And you know who's good to ask? We still have Joe here. Ask Joe what he thinks about, you know, he wouldn't know whether he was on the Op 4 platoon or the Blue 4 platoon. It's not He's just on a platoon, but you can ask him what he thinks about force-on-force force training. Um, <clears throat> no, yeah, I never actually realized if one was the op for or not. Uh, I guess when you actually are in the military, you understand those terms as I'm not. So, yeah, it was always just like platoon A versus platoon B. But, um, I mean, just 
to speak to like your average guy who I guess I could, like I, I will speak for now. Um, you can show up to this place like myself, my first semester. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I've played airsoft or whatever, so I can, you know, I knew the manual of arms for an era 15 and I had some gear that I thought would work, um, which you'll find out, you know, what does and what doesn't really quick. Um, which is, you know, another bonus of spending a week in your kit. Um, but you know, I went from really not understanding much, um, practically, you know, you can read a lot in books, but then when you're in the field and you're like, I always, I always laugh about this to Tyler, but like, it's different when you're, you're reading it and then you're in a patrol base and you have to like pull security and change your socks and people are trying to kill you. It kind of puts a whole nother perspective on like all these things that you've read, um, so, like I said, I went there not knowing anything, and then I got my first semester, got stuck in Brent's, uh, luckily, I guess, got stuck in Brent's uh, fire team, and we were in a, just a hole in the ground uh, waiting for, I guess, Doc's guys ended up attacking us at night, uh, like a defensive line, and it was, like, crazy. We had a hellacious gunfight. It was, like, the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. It was just you know, 50, 60 rifles going off, people screaming, guys running through, issuing commands. Brent's like, you know, issuing commands down to us. And I'm like, my first instinct is like airsoft, like get up there and just start, you know, shooting Call of Duty and whatever, you know. And then we were, you know, we had our orders and whatever and uh, trusted the process and things turned out, it turned out pretty cool. And then, you know, uh, after that, you, you get moved up, you get a little more responsibility. I think they gave me an LSW for the FTX. And then the next year that I went, I ended up having to lead um, a squad and a patrol in the SDX. And then I ended up being RTO for the FTX. And it's kind of like you learn this skill in the classroom and then they're like, Hey, okay, now you're going to do it for the next three days and it's your job and everyone's relying on you. Um, so you kind of learn it really well. You know, I said uh, to the guys, I'm like, well, I've never been an RTO before. And they're like, we know, obviously uh, just be a good one now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you kind of have to ask some of the guys that have done it before and then you put it together. But I'm telling you, like, just as a place, yeah, to pick up basic skills, like soldiering, you know, and that's fine. You can come at it from whatever perspective you want. Prepared citizen, history, buff, you know, everyone has their <clears throat> has their has their way of explaining it. But um, you, you end up coming away with way more than what you thought you were going to go in there for anyway. Um and you end up just gelling with the guys. And then you have like this really deep understanding of, uh, you know, just moving and, and, op- and, and working with guys. And it can apply to so much more than in a, like a martial um, aspect, which it does heavily. Obviously, you can, you know, still work out there doing the same things that other guys who have been trained by the government can do, but <clears throat> to an extent. But also you learn, I mean, life skills. Um, a lot, a lot can be, you know, a lot can be learned from having to deal with 30 guys you don't know and you're, you know, not sleeping for 48 hours and you're eating when you can. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? You have to go to the bathroom within uh, eyesight of somebody else. Some people have never done that. You know, a lot of some, some guys will come and they've never slept outside. Um, and you learn about a lot, you know, a lot about yourself, but I guess what I'm trying to say is for this to be a place where if you're starting from scratch, you don't have a group, Obviously, in light of some things that have happened in recent recent history with other groups, if now you don't know where to turn and you're like, oh, geez, like I want to get involved with this stuff, but where, where do I even begin? This is kind of that place. You know, you can come from some kid who just played airsoft 
uh, you know, and you want to, you're, you're kind of interested in, in this sort of thing and, and you'll definitely get, uh, your money's worth, uh, at, to say, I guess, um, that's my testimony. Well, and then Joe, uh, Joe did, uh, some air assault mission with us on the 40th and I guess, uh, yeah. and, and the bug bit him cause we're in, we got uh, Hueys, UH, uh, 1H Hueys yeah, and, uh, and, he, and the bug bit him so bad that he and his brother, Went off to uh, Liberty Jump School. Now they're um, five jump chumps. They are literally static line military shoot all out of a, a oh, C-47. Cool. That's what's good about America is you can pay to get certified in whatever you want. So, so No, I know, but yeah. That's such a crazy thing because if you would tell some of the guys that are in this realm that, one, they're civilians not just doing like – patrolling and doing it as part of like a big group and they're getting good reps and good feedback on it against a dedicated competing group that is, you know, numerically identical and not really pulling any punches. They're there to win just as much as you are. Mm-hmm. And then you also tack on to that, like, Oh yeah, by the way, there's guys out there that are airborne qualified <laughs> that are, you know, Pri- like mean, privately airborne like qualified. Joke, you know? So it, you know, I, I don't know if you guys want to like get into recent events, but you look at what happened in Israel a few weeks ago, and you're seeing, you know, it, it was a big joke, like, oh, haha, Hamas is using um, the these paragliders. paragliders. Yeah. But at the same time, you think about it, and you're like, these dudes really just did an air mobile assault. Right. With, you know, with, granted, it's just like a tandem paraglider, but if you have 10 of those things out there, you've got 20 dudes there. You've got, you know, two combat squads or however you want to break it down that just showed up somewhere out of the blue, completely unconventional. And it's, it's just, I'd say that after 2020, we've reached a new sort of like, I don't want to say stage, but I guess that's the word coming to mind for like the non what's the word? Like basically you're not a government entity, right? You're, you're, uh, you're I'm not just like NGO or anything, but you're an independent entity and you just have so much access to like, like if you want to be a private citizen and be an upstanding dude and you live on a coast and you're like, well, I want to learn, you know, maritime skills. I want to be amphibious. There's guys out there that will teach you that. I mean, you, know, you, you went to like a basically a civilian airborne school to do static line jumps. I mean, there's guys that will teach you that. Yeah. You know, and then you could literally pay to learn whatever you want. Like I think just after that I did I, I was we were talking about this before we started recording. I did that uh repelling course for three days with Rat uh in Alabama. So like you can you can get a pretty good like you know portfolio of skills just like in you know, and this is kind of was a gateway to all of it because I was like, Oh shoot, you really can just pay for a, you know, like a, to learn a skill in America. Like it's just you have sure. freedom. So but, yeah, let me like, yeah, let me throw a few more out there. I mean, since we, we're calling, you know, our, our guys go, the One Shepherd guys have gone on to Brush Breeder. Brush Breeder has this fantastic six-day RTO course. They've gone on to, you know, people think about shooting packages, of course, of course. But there are Care Under Fire. There are Wilderness First Aid courses. There are um, off-road, off-trail um, driving courses. There's scuba and parachute skydiving air assault repelling i mean the list just goes on anything you get in the military you can essentially get that outside here in the civilian world now it's it's a whole new world and one shepherd's niche of course is the leadership that you know that small unit dismounted tactical patrolling that's very raid centric you know ambush centric 
Um, but but we do big army stuff too. It's not just those. Uh, but anyway, my, I guess this is my point. And to your point, um, and you know, to the point made earlier, yeah, you know, we're all going. Look at Ukraine. Look at Ukraine and and how it was able to leverage its citizen militia at its hour of you know its most dark hour to save to help save the nation. Okay, so everybody's doing this, and don't think they're not paying attention. Poland and Estonia are going, hey, we need our own militia. Taiwan, Taiwan is looking at that model and they are so anti-gun and yet they are teaching. They have their soldiers bringing civilians in to teach them to shoot real firearms. And then they send their soldiers out to teach these um, militia groups, these citizen militia groups using airsoft and teaching them urban fighting. And so you're going, wow. And then, of course, you just mentioned the horror that happened in Israel. Israel, Most people don't realize this. They look at Israel and they go, oh, there's guns everywhere. They must have very relaxed gun laws. No, they have some of the most strict gun laws in the world. And this is why those farming villages were absolutely overrun. And the horror that was, you know, visited upon them um, was because they were unarmed. In, Mm -hmm. In one of the kibbutz, in one of the kibbutz, there was a rabbi who went through all the hoops and had the, he was a former military, all these other things. So they finally let him have an AR-15. And he, with a handful of others who just, if I understood it correctly, had nothing more than pistols because that's all they were allowed to have. But the rabbi had an AR-15 and the five of them held off the uh, Hamas guerrillas to the point of this. Two of them died in the fighting, two of his five-man team, including himself, Two of them died in the fighting, and they killed, confirmed, five bodies of Hamas in their village, and Hamas finally retreated. No other people in that kibbutz died, other than the two that died in the fighting, the, the quick reaction force. No other. They did that, from what I understand, four handguns, one AR-15 against, well, like, ten, ten dudes. Yeah, I mean, even look at uh, South Africa and how that's been going for years now at this point. And yeah. How there's there's tons of farmers that are still living and alive, and their families are, you know, haven't been burned alive because of the fact that they have private gun ownership, and you know they have a couple neighbors that they know that they can rely on, that they know they have to stick together, and that's that's kind of one of the biggest things with with where we're at right now is like, you know, and and not coming from a, a place of paranoia or anything like that, but. You know, now's the time to start making these these networks and these connections and and all that stuff, and and at least you know get in contact with with other groups of guys that are doing similar things, just so that way you know you're not scrambling to try to find similar people in your area afterward. And even if you're not directly training with them, but you can use it for force on force and all that. Just to that point, Tyler, um, Doc, uh, they, we operate out of. We have one. One school in West Virginia, right? And then yeah. there's <clears throat> right. So, so uh, Alpha Alpha Company is in uh, the Ozarks of Central Missouri. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And then Bravo Company is in, um, yeah, I should say that. I'll go ahead and say that it's there at the Combat Maneuver Training Center, the CMTC. This is right beside Osage Beach, in in the Ozarks of Central Missouri. Um, Bravo Company is at Panthera Training Center, and gosh, just beautiful. It's in the Appalachian of West Virginia. We are setting up next year, Charlie company. We're still going back uh, forth between not one, but three different facilities, but it, they're all in Northern Florida. 
So Charlie Company will be in northern Florida. And then that's the first battalion. Once we get Charlie Company up and running, we have Alpha Bravo and Charlie. That's first battalion. Second battalion will be the West Coast Battalion, and it'll be in the mountain states. We're looking at, for example, New Mexico, uh, you know, Idaho, maybe Wyoming, something like this. But, the, uh, you know, those don't exist yet, but we're go they're going to exist. And I say all this. Now, I want to emphasize that we don't build MOSs. We don't. We don't certify or build any kind of MOSs. We build warrior leaders. And we immerse them in light fighting tactical doctrine, which, of course, has infantry, you know, harkens back to an infantry tradition and doctrine. But um, I would say that, you know, if you want a parallel, um, and it's not, there's never an exact parallel. Analogies are just that. They're models. They're not exact. But I would say this. I've lived in Arizona. I love Arizona. If I lived within 100, 150 miles of the U.S. southern border, with the drug cartels, with the human trafficking, which all that stuff going on, there's, there's no way. I, I would absolutely have my quick reaction force. I would know who my neighbors were, and I would definitely have a, a, an evac plan. I would have a button-down plan. I would have a quick reaction force. And I'm not talking vigilanteism. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Hamas struck a bunch of peaceful farming kibbutz right? Farming villages. And we've seen this happen. In rare instance, we have seen this happen in America along the southern border. Uh, yeah, this is the time to, I mean, the relevance is here. I would argue it was always relevant. I will argue that, yeah, that uh, we always should have been uh, supportive of this. But right now, it's very, very hard to make the argument, yet some people are trying to, um, oh, no one needs an AR-15. And no one needs to worry about self-protection. We have police and military. Um, there are villages, you know, killed to the man, woman, and child in Israel that believe that same thing. Yeah, and I, it, it was kind of mentioned earlier, too. Um, but I think that it's important to note that one of the benefits of having... Um, all these different areas that, that you guys are in and, and having like dedicated facilities for, for training this stuff is that, you know, you can read how to do stuff a hundred times, but until you actually do it, you won't necessarily fully understand it. You know, you might, you might have a, a good idea of the concept and, and all that, but then you're really going to refine it once you start doing it in practice. And there's so much stuff that guys can't train, you know, privately because, there there's nowhere really to do it like yeah okay there there's abandoned towns across the u.s that you could try to sneak into and do like some you know dry fire cqb training or whatever or even basic force on force with airsoft guns or like a the mantis x black beard type things is like a laser tag or whatever but you know mo the majority of guys are going out into the woods on public land or or even private land and, and doing patrolling and all that stuff and that's what we see the most of because that's what's available for guys to do um you know we at the beginning of the year me and me and a bunch of my buddies had found a uh an abandoned concrete factory that was on public land and we linked up with another group that was down in in north carolina linked up and then uh and then did some kind of training on that just to see how we can link up and integrate with another group and and then that was like the only real exposure to cqb that we've been able to do you know, and one of our buddies is, uh, he does op for at Darcy all the time. So he's 
he was kind of like the subject matter expert at the time of, of doing that stuff. But, you know, it's ha- having a place that has a dedicated facility to train a lot of this stuff is, is completely valuable. Oh, it's peace of mind, right? Yeah. Well, that too, right? You don't need to worry at any point, oh, am I going to get in trouble for being at this place with firearms and body armor and, and all this stuff? Yeah. Going back a little bit, I, you know, Doc, you brought up the border. I mean, I'm thoroughly convinced that the next major, like, domestic flashpoint is going to be some sort of conflict around the border states. I mean, you just see what's going on. Like, you, whoever's listening, I implore you to just, like, sit down and do some research. Uh, Even recently, there was an operation on the Rio Grande by, uh, I believe it was, like, the Texas Rangers and U.S. Marshals. I think DP, Texas DPS, where they had to basically re-seize uh, an island from cartels because they were using it as like a way station, like a resupply point, a bed down spot. And there was no fighting or anything. But the fact that you're seeing these like, you know, these already kind of like defunded and kind of small, dedicated dudes fighting, you know, were the federal government might be saying, no, don't do this. But then the state's like, well, we have to do it because otherwise we're not going to have a state anymore. And you're seeing these LEO guys being pushed into these almost like small unit tactic scenarios. And it's like, it's like, dude, those guys are getting into this. And those, there's only so many of them. What's going to happen if you're in one of those small little towns along the border and these problems show up on your doorstep and, you know, it, Sure, you can try counting on the sheriff, but I mean, if there's only two sheriffs for your town, which I'm sure is the case for a lot of places, you're going to you're going to have a rude awakening, and dude. It's, it's not even by the border, it, like it, well, it is, but uh, you know, we, we have. I recently found out that we have cartel activity up here in the Great Lakes area. <laughs> it's all. Yeah. I mean, it's all yeah. over. It's too late for that. But, so, you, you know, know, I think that I would agree with you that I think that, you know, if something happens here, it would definitely be cartels and all that. And, and I think that that's one of the things, too, that guys need to figure out is, like, what's what's the angle of your training, right? Like, you know, going out and doing patrol, patrols in the woods is good, but what's the end goal? What's the end state? Are you trying to fight, you know, against natural disasters and, you know doing disaster relief and whatnot and and you do some of the armed stuff for potential looters or do you think that cartels are going to set up in your area or whatever it is but you know at the end of the day everyone needs that structure and that leadership that uh and that camaraderie to to build while you're you know training all this stuff i just want to i want to put out a, a point here because i i don't think anybody's raised this um and just you know, whatever, whatever it is that your, your prime threat is, whether, you know, you're living on the Southern border and you're worried about, you know, Mexico, or you're worried about freaking Chicon paratroopers falling from the sky one day. Um, if you are that armed prepared citizen, obviously, uh, you know, you have your own kit, you have your own gear that you've, you know, amassed, uh, to what extent are you using a training with that gear? Right. Is it only on a flat range? Like, I don't know. I don't know what your situation is, but, you know, circling back to one shepherd, you know, and Doc and Joe can definitely talk about this too. I mean, I have seen countless dudes show up because it's like, you know, one shepherd is not regimented in that, you know, you have a cookie cutter gear, right? All we mandate is like, hey, 
your your gear needs to be od green right? and you need to have these two different uniforms and then that's it you have a lot of latitude you don't you don't even have to carry the same pack it just needs to be a you know uh, a military style ruck uh, but greenish, you know, it's not like we're not going out there like looking for obscure OD green stuff. I don't want. I, don't, I could see people taking that literally. It's not. It's not literally OD green. Holding right. up the color swatch and making. Yeah, sure. you know how we, we're like we're like autistic with this stuff sometimes. Right, but what I'm getting to is like the amount of dudes that I've seen show up, and you know they have, you know, something that looked cool to them on a YouTube video. Okay, and they show up, <laughs> and then you see them like the next semester, or even during that semester, stuff gets starts getting stripped off, and then the dude that showed up with you know this freaking high speed Kevlar helmet with this like you know laser cut fucking plate carrier, next time shows up and he's got no kidding a 1980s 1990s fucking Alice rig, you know as his go to web gear because <laughs> yeah semester. So. Yeah, it's funny too. I think that after every uh, every one shipper course that Joe goes to, he ends up texting me and he's like, "Hey, I'm thinking about changing up my gear." <laughs> <laughs> we 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 even so expensive. Yep, we have a term for that. It's called pisgad, and it's the uh, post or pre. It's both um, gear, you know, purchase disorder or whatever it is. Oh. But it's a it's a whole long acronym. But but it's true. It's that uh, people go and. They think, oh, this is what I'm going to use. They use it. Half the stuff they buy, they're like, that was garbage. And the other half winds up being a good piece of gear. And so they wind up incorporating that into their system. But it's, it's funny but that what Brent was saying, it's not just 17 and 21-year-olds who do that, who show up with their high-speed Gucci gear that just wind up kicking that to the curb and like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, I, I've seen, you know, what you would expect really well-trained guys, guys who are, you know, avid shooters by shooting packages. They don't, they don't spare the money. You know what I'm saying? Like the money isn't the issue for them and they show up with their bug out bag or whatever it is. And it's funny, man, you, you see them in their very first semester. <laughs> and I mean, like we're talking second, third day of the semester and they are just like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> and yeah, this, this, that's just it. This is where we go. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what the uniforms are. We're reasonably tight or we're reasonably demanding on our uniforms, partly because we have a, a, an almost half century, um, uh, you know, tradition, but also because we need to have friend or foe ID. And that's, and that's how it comes down to with the gear. We're like, look, I, it's not that I'm against multicam. It's not that I'm against, you know, tiger stripe or whatever it is. It's that we, we have to have good, solid friend or foe ID because we're a force-on-force -force environment. I, if I see you across the field, I need to be reasonably certain who you are. Um, we are you know, force-on-force -force already struggles so much. You really see how much fratricide or near-fratricide oh, yeah. incidents yeah. happen every single semester. And don't think that we let it slide. Oh, no. You're sitting in an AAR having to own up to all your brothers in arms. You know, 40 dudes looking at you like, did you really shoot Bill? And you're like, if you find out about yeah, it. That's, yeah, that's that's when I totally got excited and didn't pay attention to what my target was. And I lit up Bill. Um, and you're like, damn, dude, that's that's heartbreaking. So you, you do see that. I mean, anyway, so the gear, what I'm saying is the gear, we say, look. We say OD green. What we mean is solid military color green, some kind. I don't, oh, but it's ranger green. Oh, but it's foliage green. I don't care. Is it solid green? 
that's good enough. Let's go. Um, so we just, you know, generically call that OD green. Um, anyway, so the point is that there's that, but I think, you know, it gets to back what everybody, it gets back to what everybody else is talking about. You, you, it looks great in a book and then we can go drill it on a mowed grass and you can say, Oh yeah, this is how that battle drill works. Or this is how, you know, we're going to sequence our, you know, our ambush, you know, from the ORP into a release point into, you know, left and right and security. And we're, we're going to execute actions on the objective. This is how we're going to egress off of the objective. Looks fantastic. Everybody has a plan when they go into the boxing ring. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And then you go, oh, <laughs> wow. So force on force is very, very different. And it's really humbling but you learn so much about it. I think that's the hook. So many guys come here. They do their first semester. They leave here exhausted. I've heard this for decades. People will say, I'm so glad I came, spent time with you guys, really am, had a great time. I'm going to tell everybody what a great program you have, but you are never, ever going to see me again. I'm, I'm done. And then they go home. And, uh, and one semester later, we see them again, usually within a week, <laughs> usually within about two weeks when they've recovered and their muscles are stop hurting and, you know, they've, they've gained weight again, you know, and they've had good clean showers and sleep. And then they'll come over and they're like, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And, um, the, the issue is that I, I don't have another place where I can go to shoot at my friends. And so, um, I want to just come back and shoot more at my friends. And so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, come back and do that. And it's like Prince said, I will point out that about 35% of the guys who walk through our door do not graduate our warrior leader program. They just come in. It's like Prince said, man, they, they had, it's okay with us. This is not bad. They come in, they're like, look, I just want to go through your warrior track. I want to get in there and do a few FTXs, learn what it's like. We've had guys who went off to the army and the Marine Corps who said, I just, I don't want to get in the leaders. I'm, I'm, I'm 16 years old or, you know, whatever. I'm 36. I just don't want that. And they come and they do two or three semesters with us, get what they need, and then they go. And God bless them. There is nothing wrong with that. But it is also surprising to me, and I, I know Brent has heard this too. It's surprising to me how many people come to One Shepherd. I don't know what they think they're getting, whether it was a shooting package or a militia or what they thought they were getting. They get there, they have a blast, they get back. We always end, every single um, semester ends with a cookout, you know, cold beer and a big thick steak. And we're sitting there just enjoying this, all completely exhausted and filthy dirty and uh, enjoying the steak. And guys will look at me and say, wow, wait a minute, you guys really are a leadership school. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course we are. They're like, no, 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 I mean, you actually have a leadership curriculum. Like there's leadership school or courses and tracks that they have to go through to complete. I was like, yes, we're a leadership school. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. But then they, that's why they come back. That's why so many of them come back. Cause they're like, okay, wait, you know, I've done two semesters. I really want to do this leadership thing. Of course. That's why we're here. And um, I just wanted to, <clears throat> Just we'll go back to the gear really quick um, for anybody that's uh, wondering. You, if you just showed up with, um, you know, boots and your 
uniforms, it's really all you need. So if you're like one of these guys that doesn't want to invest a bunch of money in kit or doesn't have a lot of kit or you're not sure what exactly you'd need, um, One Shepherd does offer basically the whole packing list that they provide. They'll also uh, rent to you, right, Doc? Yeah, it's, it's, it's $100 a semester for a whole entire set of field gear. Again, this is not your uniforms, your parka, your boots, right? But it is everything else. It's your rucksack, your sleeping bag, your sleeping mats. It's, you know, your rain tarps. It's just, you know, your extra canteens. And it will get you through every single PCI uh, pre-combat inspection during the entire semester. And and it's 100 bucks as you know, our foreign guys are our, our guys coming in from Australia and, you know, <coughs> England, whatever, uh, Germany. These guys flying in and, and they fly in Mexico and they flat out tell us they're like a hundred bucks. Are you kidding me? I couldn't get my gear. You know, the, the bag check costs a hundred dollars each direction. They're like, yeah, that's cheaper mm-hmm. than getting my, bringing my own gear. And so we do. It's real primitive stuff. It's exactly what uh, Brent was talking about. It's Alice gear, guys. That's all we're we're like. Okay, it's it's you know it's not fancy, um, but it's battle proven. And this was it works. Yeah, yeah, I'm like this might be as old as your grandfather, but the fact is it works, and it works particularly well. Battle belts are making this huge comeback, and that's because all the chess rigs are wonderful. Anybody who hears this and thinks, "Oh, Doc doesn't like chess rigs," you're wrong. You are so wrong. Chess rigs are wonderful if i'm fighting out of a mounted solution let's say i'm 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 in an ifv or i'm fighting out of you know a bird or you know a black hawk whatever it is if you're mounted and you've got battle rattle in your in your chest and you're running through doors oh my god god bless you that's wonderful but once you get into the trees and in the jungle and up in the mountains and you're rural and there are no houses or vehicles around you and the battle starts and you go prone, the last place you want all your important stuff is being smushed into the mud beneath you when you need to access it. And so what you find is people come back and they're like, oh, once I left the vehicles, I, I just went back to Alice. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. There's better options, but it makes sense. It's a cheap, reliable option. We could be a bit of a, uh, a jungle rig cult. Uh, I know there's definitely some differences of opinion, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so just to reiterate, you can show up with nothing. Don't let uh, the gear be a barrier to entry. Um, you know, you're going to get Alice gear. It's going to work. But and also, not for nothing, it's a it's a good lesson to learn about uh, cheap loaner gear. For you know, if you have a bunch of guys that you have to supply. You can see what can be done with some, you know, fifty-year-old uh, polyester and nylon. Uh, I mean, at uh, the end of the day, right? The the real your principles, uh, other than some small manual of arms and like you know little the little idiosyncrasies of switching to a different gear setup that you've never used before. Ultimately, the principles stay the same. Yeah. It really doesn't matter whether you're wearing belt kit or a chest rig or a plate carrier. You know, you're patr- you're, if you're still wedging out, you're still wedging out. Really well, it's just the base. I agree. It's, it's like a, so yeah. it's it's why I've moved so far away from talking about gear. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the it's the burden of social media that guys want to. And look, trust me, I love like like I, I'm not a person to shy away from 
looking at the the latest stuff, but I just I just don't see like if I had to quantify it in a percentage, it's maybe five percent of my bandwidth of what I would talk about with people because it's just so it's it's a personal thing and it's it's ultimately so inconsequential when you, when you start getting to the actual like meat and potatoes like it's important for like personal comfort but like I'd rather people know about the principles I'd rather you be good at patrolling to where like one you understand why that gear is set up the way it is you're going to find out the hard way like you guys said you know you're going to learn real quick if you bought something you know because it looked cool versus it actually works for you but you know well like it's like a broad important thing too like doc had said where and i agree with it where if you're using belt kit and then you got to start doing mounted ops you're probably not going to have too much fun like if you're doing stuff that's specifically like low pro like low vis mounted stuff you know observation from a vehicle plain clothes with kit underneath like a jacket or something yeah you're not going to want that that belt kit but in general like a lot of the stuff just comes down to personal preference within those categories and you know i have my my opinions on on belt kit and stuff and you know maybe just the sample size of one that i got just wasn't working for me I mean, it also it, it also just goes kind of without saying, like at this point now in the community, I think we're past, like like Geo said, I think we're kind of past uh, that the gear, like like arguing over what's what, like how many times can someone say met use the word use the acronym met TCA correctly? <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah. But to just 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 to reiterate this, I mean, Brent will vouch for this too. Like, we'll this gear talk, especially at One Shepherd, you don't really have a lot of free time. Uh, it's structured. That's kind of how they induce stress a little bit. Like there's time for everything, but they make sure that you're not sitting around uh, doing nothing. Um, but there's not a lot of sitting around talking. You see some of the new guys like look at some of the older guys or the guys that have been there more and be like, oh, what are you running? What it, you know, and it's a quick conversation. And then the new guys will be fiddling with their kit, you know, in between, uh, you know, lanes or uh, at night or something. But there's never like, oh, this, you know, there's no debate. There's no belt kit. There's no. Um, belt kit chest rig debate it's like so we're so like you know and i'm sure the community as a whole is moving just so far from that now where it's like i think we're all on the same page like you need to get what what works for you what you think works for your system and uh and let it be and just focus on the actual important things like tactics and uh mindset and stuff like that and, and, um, leadership. Yeah. and leadership right yeah yeah i think that one of the reasons why that talk of like the theory crafting behind gear and rifle setups and stuff like that is so prevalent is because you know guys will go to like a monthly uh ftx or whatever with their with their group of dudes and then you have all that time before the next one where if you're not planning it or you know whatever preparing for that one you're you're thinking about how you can modify gear and and you know Oh, you know, these were the issues I had with my rifle. This in this one instance, maybe I should shift things over to to this or whatever. And and I'm even guilty of it too. You know, I was oh, well, not guilty. I I think that's what you should be doing. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, I and and not just the warriors, even the leaders. You should be maximizing. You know, an infantryman always improves his his you know his ground, right? So you should be maximizing those things. And let me be very clear: if I come across as condescending about Oh, don't don't worry about what gear you have. Don't worry about what weapon system or comm system or targeting systems you have. That's just simply not what I mean at all. I I enjoy the fact that people will sit down and you know nitpick that to death. That's a that's a good healthy thing. Um, 
but what I do want to point out is, you know, someone already said it. It's like 5% of your, um, of your like competency area. And I guess I, I, there's this, while you want to maximize it out, every, every little edge you can get is a good thing, right? And that's why you want to maximize that. Maximize your comfort, maximize your preference, maximize your gear. Having said all that, let me give you a, just the, the smallest bit of utility in the end. It comes down to basics. It comes down to team communication, team tactics, team drill, leadership fundamentals. It always comes down to those fundamentals because here's the reality. The reality is that the Jedbergs and British SBS of World War II carried Sten guns and bolt action Lee Enfields. The, the Merrill Marauders of the United States Marine Corps in World War II carried M1 Garands and canvas webbing with Tom, you know, Thompsons. And, and those aren't bad weapon systems, but by today, they're antiquated, right? They're obsolete. Well, are they? Because elite units achieve their mission even when they have inferior equipment. And they do that because they get really good at the basics, at the fundamentals. God, you know what that just reminded me of? Completely off topic. Uh, has anyone ever heard of that movie, Uncommon Valor, with Gene Hackman? I don't know if anyone's seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, well, that, you know, if you if you haven't seen it, then here's a spoiler for like a for like a 30, 40 year old movie. But if you have seen it, uh, <laughs> when they have to pretty much downgrade equipment because they have no other choice and, you know, they're setting out with bazookas and Thompson's. It's just it was one of those like cool little moments that a, very rarely a movie will kind of show like, oh, yeah, hey, we're we're kind of downgrading our equipment. But we're still going to get this done. And they, you know, they pulled off their own little Sante raid. I don't it, It's ultimately a movie, but it's just, it, I don't know why it just popped up into my head. Well, because it's relevant because it's relevant yeah. because the fact is that, you know, Marshawk and the green berets, if you give them inferior equipment, guess what? They're still going to achieve their objective. So you can't point to the equipment and say, well, this is why they were successful. No, it isn't. It is what gives them a, an edge and they will maximize that edge. But no, that isn't what makes them successful. Absolutely. And, and uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go on, dude. Go ahead. Just gonna I can't go it. to One Shepherd because Doc's going to make fun of my gear and I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I meant to say was just um, it, it's kind of a lesson where um, this whole gear thing and, and whatever. So there's always new people coming in. So you're, you say you've been there for a few semesters and there's always guys coming in and out. Doc, how many, how many alumni are there now? 500? Oh, uh, it's 660 600. now, I think is what it is. Ooh. Right. And, yeah. and so 660 in 25 nations worldwide. Yeah. So you're always running into new guys. And then as you're going up this, like you're looking at people you've never with mixed experience or if any at all wearing God knows what gear um, or, you know, just regular Alice gear or like who knows what else. And you can, you can kind of look at them and you can say, Oh, look, look at what I have to work with. And then you, once the, the semester's over, you look at what you've achieved with, uh, you can say so little. And then you kind of learn that lesson that like Jock just talked about, about like, you know, the Jedbergs or, or whoever special forces team that, you know, had to work with, with what they had at the time. And you kind of can have like a, um, understanding of something that wasn't really the intention of the course. It wasn't the, it's not written down in a book anywhere, but you kind of have this understanding of like, Hey, 
Like there are just certain things that like we can achieve as as people, as dudes working together. It doesn't really matter too much about other things and you learn about what is important. And kind of at the end of the week, every week, you're kind of like, geez, like we really pulled it off. And like Doc and Brent can say the same thing. Like there's random dudes coming together and we always pull off what we set out to do at the FTX, it always happens and there's always new people. So, you know, something we're doing something right. I mean, and, uh, I just think it's, it's just a way to see that, you know, kind of, uh, in person, you know, where you can read about this, but then in person you can see, look what we've done, what we, what you can achieve with basically nothing. It is something extremely impressive to see what a raid looks like, like to be an observer, you know, a simulated raid or whatever, you know, the blank fire miles, whatever you want to call it, but to see it executed to its conclusion till the exfil is like one of the most impressive things when you see it go down Mm -hmm. and you might not even notice it taking part because you're so concentrated on your, you know, your little bit, you're at the public security or you're commanding, you're on the radio or clearing rooms or you're, you know, whatever your individual task is at the moment, but like just from the outside, it's like, just such an impressive machine moving all at once. And, you know, that's the, from the sounds of it, that's the cool thing about one shepherd is it, it, it engenders that it, it encourages it and it reaches that conclusion. It's um, one of Brent's videos is on that. It's specifically where he, uh, I don't know if Brent, if you were leading that or if you were the APL or what, but there's this nighttime raid that, um, that they do really, really well. Um, and what's funny is, as they're in the exfil, you know, they're pulling off the objective through the release point, and he's herding cats. You know what that's like. Yeah. You, got, <laughs> oh, you yeah. got your left and right security still firing, and you're trying to get everybody else, you know, the assault team back across, and then, you know, the support team through the release point back to the ORP. And, I mean, they knew it. You can tell. They, they really do a very, very good raid. This is the middle of the night. It's 2 or 3 in the morning, whatever it is. And uh, night vision and all this other stuff. And they are, <laughs> they're fist pumping in the air and woot wooing, which is absolutely the wrong thing to be doing on the X-Fill. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. but you, can, you can hear the excitement. And, of course, you can also hear uh, Sergeant Major Brent Downey going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, to date, the best freaking uh Which raid. one was this? Uh, this was, I think 2018. I was actually doc. I was actually just a team leader in that. That was a uh, Cole Salmon's leading that, but I was, I was on from f- essentially start to finish like <laughs> balls deep in that, that raid. I, I, I was part of the reconnaissance element that went out and like we had several clicks. We had to conduct reconnaissance over until we finally found the area that, you know, we suspected the enemy, uh, we would get we're given this intel that there was an enemy comm node and you know within the several clicks of this area right and uh this is pretty arduous terrain it was you know um uneven uphill downhill it was it was pretty wild and uh we went out there we spent hours conducting reconnaissance and finally we narrowed it down to this one little area they were like they gotta be in there i think we even saw a patrol kind of Head in that direction, but we didn't want to press it too much because we didn't want to spook them and you know disrupt the enemy. So we pulled back, and then you know just like Doc said, we launched a raid at like three in the morning, and it was just catastrophic success. Caught the enemy completely by surprise. There was like no alum, and then sure shit, you know as we're you know pulling back, 
to to our freaking uh you know release point you know dudes are screaming and i'm just yelling she goes, shut the fuck up you know <laughs> i mean literally there's there's enemy qrf on our tail and guys are- yeah that, that would be that would be my concern is like hey man this is all great now until these yeah. dudes figure out the call of fire mission on it but Oh, yeah. oh, there was. There was an enemy QRF that was chasing them while they're all screaming yeah. and fist pumping. And I'm like, ugh, you know. <laughs> oh, that is not a that is not a situation you want to be Unset. in. Sad. You know, but but it's 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 the execution of the well-oiled machine, the culmination of all your training kind of showing itself is just such a you know, I don't blame them for hooting and hollering. It's not the right thing to do, but I get it. It's the first time you do it, it's just so exciting. And, you know, it's like the first time you ride a helicopter and you do your first like air assault or whatever you want to call it, um, your air infill, and you're just you, you feel the helicopter flying away. You're there in your half moon or whatever, and you're like, "Wow, I really just did that. I really just rode this roller coaster." Absolutely. When you know, you know it when, and they know it. The, the the warriors know when they've done a good job. You know, there's times where it's ambiguous. There's times when you know you got your ass handed to you, but there are times where you know, "Wow." We just pulled that one off, and you know, and, yeah. So it's it's really cool watching that growth. So I know I know we were talking about gear, uh, but I am a believer that while like by far and large nylon isn't a huge influence, how much like night vision, thermal, sort of like image intensifiers have you guys seen come through? I'll speak to this. Uh, so I started going to uh, One Shepherd, and I think it was 2017. And uh, back then, there there wasn't that much MBG use. There were guys that had it. And in fact, the very first FTX I was part of, uh, we went up against a smaller force, right? Uh, it was a blue four. It was significant. It was about half our size. But every single one of them was equipped with uh, night vision capabilities. And our side was twice their size. But none of us had night vision. And uh, that was my kind of my first experience. But even back then, it was just, you know, night vision was there, but it wasn't as prevalent. But over the years, as as the years have gone by, six years now since I've been involved with One Shepherd, every semester you've seen the uptick in night vision and thermal. And, and, you, and it's, it's a complete testament to, you know, the the – widening of the availability to this stuff right it's getting cheaper uh it's becoming more and more available uh but now if you go to a one shepherd semester yeah you you can you can absolutely show up no night vision or anything like that and still have you know fantastic training experience uh but you are going up no kidding against a modern peer adversary probably equipped with mbgs Maybe he has a peck laser or he's shooting passively, but you are getting a modern battlefield experience. And on top of that, you're you're seeing we're seeing drone usage now. I was going to yeah. ask if you guys were allowing drones. So I was. Oh yeah, drone on drone. Even now, we're seeing drone on drone. Right, and and oh, Lord. and on that on that note, like it's a great learning experience at One Shepherd because it's like some of these things that you think are just you know without a doubt ridiculous force multipliers, right? Drones, man, portable drones. Um, absolutely. You know, sounds like a fantastic idea and I'm not saying it's not, uh, but you know, doc, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong here. All the semesters I've been in were like drones were used. Like they'd never saw anything. 
Why? Because dudes are doing what they're supposed to. They're staying under, you know, you know, heavy canopy forest, right? They're not walking out into the open fields. Um, and you know, they're, they're employing just good sound infantry tactics and they're defeating this high tech technology with low tech tactics. Um, and, on that note, we had a guy one time show up with this thing that I would equate to the, the old 1990 or late 90s era land land warrior system, right? He yeah. had this thermal scope attached to his weapon. He built this like fucking uh, eyepiece in his eye. He projected the thermal image yeah. from the scope to and, his glasses. Oh, and this semester, this was not this guy's first semester. This was his semester to be a team leader, right? So he's in charge of three other guys. And he's trying to, you know, we're trying to instill in him, hey, the fighter, you know, the fighter leader concept, right? Hey, his fire team is his weapon. But what happens when he goes to employ his fire team? No, he gets sucked into all his tech, right? He's trying to sit there doing his land warrior. Next thing he knows, he's alone and unafraid by himself, doesn't know where the hell his team is, right? He's not effectively leading them as a team leader. And it was a major learning point for that guy. At least I hope he took that lesson away. Um, that, you know, you can, you can have these great, this great technology, whether it's drones or thermals and stuff. But like, if you get sucked too far down that rabbit hole and you forget what you're there to be doing, right. In this case, this guy was supposed to be a team leader, supposed to be fighting his team, not fighting as an individual. Um, it becomes counterintuitive, right. And the drone thing, Hey, both of these, you know, teams, um, and multiple FTXs, like they're humping these, you know, man portable drones out there. I'm not sure how much exactly they're weighing, but like that, that takes up a lot of space in a, in a ruck. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you know, what was, what was the cost benefit of taking that drone when it, it essentially gave you no Intel? So, well, that's know, the thing that's, that's crazy too, is like the, the technology is getting better and better and we can look at footage all the time in Ukraine and, and now even Israel with fucking paragliders. Um, but there, there's always going to be a counter that comes from that. And I think that I've spoken on this before that, you know, a lot of guys will get like this defeatist mentality when they're only thinking about what the other side has capability wise. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. the other side is going to have drones with thermal capabilities and stuff. And it's like, you can go out and buy a thermal, uh, you know, blanket that, that hides your signature and, you know, using some of the just basic aerial, uh, like counter observation skills that you should be doing anyway, like proper camouflage under good canopy. Don't be walking in a big, a big open field. You know, that that's going to kind of negate the, um, the advantage to a degree. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious though, when, when you guys went against a, an element that was half your size and everyone had night vision, did you guys get absolutely smoked. So we got absolutely annihilated. However, <laughs> However, and this is this 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 was before I owned a pair of uh, MVGs for myself, right? Before this, my mindset was like, "Oh, I'm in the military, you know, I'll, I'll always have MVGs in the military." Uh, but then I go to this, and then I had my peepee slapped at night, you know. <laughs> and I remember, I remember specifically being in the middle of the night in a fighting position, right? And we hear the enemy coming. We hear rocks creaking and cracking, and they sound like they're freaking top of 10 meters in front of us, right? And we're like, hold your fire, hold your fire, because we could barely see them, and we're going to kick on our white lights. So we waited till we thought they were right on top of us. We kick on our white lights, and there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, fucking like 50 meters out, 
you start seeing muzzle flashes, right? And then they start engaging us because we all kicked on our white lights thinking they're like 10 meters apart. So, yeah, yeah, we lost, we lost um, many guys in that, in that FTX. However, our numbers overpowered them because again, we were twice their size, but we lost. I mean, we were essentially the communist Chinese doing human wave attacks in that, in that FTX. Yeah. It was written so that you guys weren't supposed to have um, the same. I mean, literally the other team had um, one and a half nods, night vision um, devices. They had one and a half per person. Oh, jeez. Right? So it, it was. It was ridiculous. Every other guy had a, a weapon mounted, and they all had one on their head. Okay? So, and, and they were fighting against, you know, this um, element <laughs> that had none. And so, uh, so you know, I, I agree. You know, I was an OC on that one. I agree with, um, with uh, Brent that uh, they took a beating. They took a royal. The casualties were very, very lopsided. But there was a couple of things that came out about that. Um, in the after action review, because every three day FTX, it's nonstop guys. It's, you know, if, if you got to pee, it's like an FTX, any other FTX, you got to pee, you step in the tree line and your battle buddy protects your back while you take a piss. And that's what, whether you sleep, whether you eat, you, you do it alone because your battle buddy's always watching the other way. And so, um, so the point was when we, we, every one of these, you go three days, nonstop, no sleep. And they end with a two-hour, hour-and-a-half, two-hour AAR, where both the Op 4 platoon and the Blue 4 platoon come in and say, okay, this was our mission, this was our plan, this is where everything went to shit for us, you know, and this is what we've learned and how we'll do it different next time. So, uh, and that's the, the essence of the AAR, right? And when they were talking about that, when the Blue 4 was talking about that, and they said, hey, to the Op 4, they're like, first off, we want to point out that you achieved your objective that night. Yeah, you did it by numbers and you did it by speed, but you guys finally figured it out. They're like, we were holding you at bay with all of our nods and all this great stuff, thermals and, you know, Gen 3 white phosphor and all these things. And they're like, but here's a little secret. When you used good camouflage, we couldn't see you. There's this notion that because we had night vision and you had none, we can see you and you can't see us. It's just not true. We only saw you when you moved. And then eventually you guys got smart about it and used fire and maneuver. You'd engage us with one team while the other team would literally bum rush us. And then we're in this five meter fight and you guys are on top of us and you outnumbered us two to one. And so there was some really good learning that came out of that, but not the least of which was everybody hated being on the team with no nods, you know? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we've, also, we've also had the opposite, right, uh, Brent? Like that... Uh... <clears throat> that that I forget if it was the first night raider or the second at the 40th where you said um you know before we stepped off you it was like a volunteer sort of thing and you're like hey I just gonna bring the guys with night vision for this one because it's gonna be a little you know we have to move far and fast remember and uh it turned out to be like a 15 on 25 fight but everyone had night vision so it was like lasers and uh ir lights it was crazy uh it was like absolutely hellacious but it was completely like pitch black except for muzzle flashes and i gotta say that one was so fascinating because so you had brent was out there leading a platoon that was he was a platoon leader for that one had like a 42 44 man platoon and he also had from battalion an attachment of a 10-man reconnaissance team and this was made up by the light fighter studies group which is led by um uh tyler jackson and um, <clears throat> so 
Tyler Jackson's guys work on this for like, I don't know, 12, 24 hours, whatever. They, they are snooping and pooping, didn't fire a shot, you know, and they're, they're doing good work. They're doing good scout stuff. Come in, brief everybody. Brent does the, um, you know, the op order and, and they do a rehearsal and all this stuff. And when they left, that is the coolest thing to work with a, an asset like that because they had breadcrumbed their way in. And they have night nods too, you know, the light fighter study group guys. And so they breadcrumbed their way in, got them into their, not just to their um, ORP, but all the way up to the release point. And Tyler Jackson was able to say, don't worry about your left. I've got my guys over there. I got a fire team over there on my left. He said, don't worry about your right. I got a fire team on security on your right. And I got a fire team back at your um, ORP pulling rear security. So, oh, man. oh yeah, so, when so Brent sick, went, yeah, when Brent went in with his 16 man raid force, against uh enemy platoon um it it was just set it was set piece and they just they just kicked ass uh it was fantastic yeah that one they were i mean and this is the type of thing that you can you know do which you may not be able to do on your own per se or you just have more of an opportunity to do it like with this but those those guys that uh, that reconnaissance group that um that reconnaissance element that doc was talking about they walked us pretty much you know, they breadcrumbed their way back to where we had to be. Um, and they walked us through and Brent, you remember this. I was, I had those PVS sevens, right. And I was, we were pulling up, I, I get to this point in the tree line and I'm like, what is everyone you know, slowing down for? And there's a barbed wire fence that we're crawling under. So I've got a prick 77 on my back and PVS sevens on my face. And I'm right behind Brent and Brent's like, okay, you know, go, you know? And, uh, you know, they're pulling up barbed wire, you're crawling under it, and you have to do it all quietly, and we're moving, you know, quite a distance together. And then your and bell kid got snagged on the wire. Oh, not did not happen. Brent, tell him. <laughs> tell him, Brent. How smooth did I move? Upset, except when I ate shit uh, at the end when we left. But tell him how smooth I was, bro. No, um, but yeah. That, I mean, it's just like a cool opportunity to get to say, oh, you you uh, go to the flat range of your nods or you walk around, you know, you're, you know, you do what you can at home, right? You walk around at home with your nods or you go out in the woods and hang out with your friends. But then you're like doing this, and you're crawling under barbed wire, you're, you know, getting in like large scale engagements, you're having to, you know, exfil at speed. Um, it's just, it's just a really wild experience uh, to get to use your gear. One, one thing I want to add on to that, that whole raid experience on that one is not only did I pull everybody in that had MVGs, I pulled them into a school circle. And you got to remember, this is this is like one in the morning at this point. We had been, you know, fighting all day, building fighting positions, um, doing reconnaissance. Dudes are smoked, right? So I pulled all these dudes in with it at him, MVGs, and I said, hey, this is what's going on. We think the enemy is located in this area, right? We're going to I want to conduct a raid. Um, I pulled in all the guys at MVGs. I don't want to take anybody that doesn't feel that they can make it. I was like, this raid is going to take many hours. It's going to be very art. You know, we're going to cover a lot of ground over arduous train. Oh, and by the way, we have to do it quietly and can't be detected by the enemy. This is not, you know, not for the faint of heart. And I had two or three guys say, yeah, I can't. I, I, there's no way I can make this. I ain't going to make it. So, I, I'm, I'm saying this now to say like, hey, one shepherd is going to test your metal, right? And then like you as an individual, you're you're going to find out like, hey, when it's one in the morning and your PL is saying, hey, I need dudes for a raid at 3 a.m. And you got no, <laughs> you have had no sleep up to this point yet. And you're smoked. Do you have that intestinal fortitude to say, I'm here. 
I'll go. Right. And can you, can you do it? Are you, you don't want to let your team down. Um, I wanted to quit that raid for sure. Like I, half, right. Halfway you know, through, I was like, fuck this. I, what I'm saying here is like, that is the kind of things that are going to happen at one shepherd. And it's like, it's going to test you, you know, mentally and physically. What's crazy is for a lot of guys outside of the military for, you know, for people who don't know that one shepherd or places like one shepherd are available. Like you might never be tested like that outside of a military environment. Like I can tell you in the army having, you know, Hey man, we, we went up the wrong hill. Uh, you know, we overshot our objective by, you know, a terrain feature. So we got to go all the way back into the drawing back up the hill. And it's just like the most defeated, like mentality there. And you're just like, oh, well, I don't have any other choice. I'm going to have to keep going. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you, you figure it out and you finish it and you're, you're so proud of yourself. And it's cool that like one shepherd puts you in that situation where it's like, Oh dude, I don't think I can make it, but I'm going to try. And then you try it and you do it and you succeed. And it's like, Oh shit, dude, I did it. You know, you, know, you saw what you thought was your limit and you superseded it. And that is such a valuable lesson. I, I think you're right. You know, half the fight is not against the enemy. It's against yourself. It's just this space, the space in your head, you know, I'd say a quarter of the fight is against the enemy. A quarter of the fight is against the environment. And half the fight is the space in your head. So it's interesting that we have the AAR. And now I'm telling um, stories out of school, but you, we'll show you some of the. So what happens after the AAR at the end of each seven-day semester is we call in the PLs and the APLs from both sides, you know, blue four, not four. And they come in and they report in individually one at a time. Um, this is very much private to them, and they report into a board of five black hats, and this is called the murder board. And the murder board is really designed, number one, just to check their general knowledge, how they're doing, you know, kind of a gut check of where they are in the program, what they plan to do after they leave the program. You know, there's a little bit of pomp and circumstance with it. You know, we start with some of our older traditions and stuff like that, but then after all that happens, we crawl into their head and we're like, all right, PL, all right, APL. We're going to crawl in. We're going to bring up incidents that we observed as OCs. And we're going to ask, crawl in your head. And there's, We're not looking for right or wrong. We're looking for why did you make the decision that you made? What were you seeing? Give us the context. Why did you go left instead of going right? And what's cool about that is that's when you find out something. We found this out years and years ago when we started doing this is that people come and they gird their loins. They're like, okay, this is going to be mentally challenging. All right, I'm ready for it. This is going to be physically demanding. Okay, okay, I'm ready for it. What, what so few of them come prepared for is how emotionally straining this is. And I'm not going to call names, and I don't want to pretend like it's like every other dude, but it is amazing to me. How many semesters we see guys, full-grown men, 34-year-old men, sit there and we get to the one question. It's not even a question you think is going to break them. And they're like, so you chose not to, you know, you know, whatever. You, you chose to go left and right, then right. Why would you make that choice? And I'm not joking, man. They just, there's this long sigh. You know, their hands kind of go up to their head and the tears come. And they're just, they're absolutely overwhelmed. And they're so hard on themselves. They're they're so hard on themselves. It's not us beating them up, like, you know, knife handing them and stuff like that. Or very, very rarely is it ever that. It's mostly these guys are brutal. They're like, I couldn't wait to be a PL. 
this is my first time as PL and I'm not the superhero I thought I was. And you know, that that's really hard for them to come to terms with, with that. But I think it's the gut check we all need from time to time. The burden of leadership isn't light. No, by any means. And you know, having to, having guys have to confront it. I mean, like everyone here has done force on force exercises knowing that you lost an engagement is like, even if it's a training engagement, you're just like, Oh fuck. Like if this was for real, like, you know, that's one of your dudes that, you know, maybe he's just a classmate then, but for a lot of guys that have their own groups, this is one of your friends. This is one of the dudes you handpicked for your organization or whatever. And, yeah. You know, he's gone that it, it sets in and you're like, Oh shit. So it's, I, I believe it. I totally believe it that these guys are, once they have that introspection, it, it really does just kind of like shape their foundation a bit. And like you said, it, it needs to be kind of done. I mean, it, it it's kind of like breaking down a muscle to build it back up. Cause you, you, I guess you understand the severity of it, at least to some guys and other guys. It's like, Oh man, I really do need to like, this isn't something I can just, I can just kind of wing. This isn't like, this isn't just another PowerPoint I'm sitting through. This is the real deal. Yeah. There are consequences to this and it's no, I, I think it, I, <clears throat> go ahead. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's good that guys are confronted in, you know, it's perfect in a training scenario where the, the cost is ultimately just sweat. It's blood, sweat and tears, but not like catastrophic levels of blood, I guess. But. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's it. I think, um, you know, you see guys come into those murder boards and <clears throat> they're, they're defensive. And so their coping mechanism emotionally is that everything was shit. Everything went wrong. Nothing went right. And we have to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up there, PL. Hold up there, APL. Really? Is that an honest inventory? Nothing went right. What about this? What about this? What about this? And I'm like, okay. No, those, those went really surprisingly well. Like, okay, so how about we start bringing it back down? And we start talking, doing an honest inventory. But the funny thing is, and Brent, Brenda's seen this as well in those, in those murder boards where you have the guy that just can't accept it. He's like, so I know things went wrong, but none of it was my fault. And it's like, whoa, hold on. What? And so it's, it's a, the murder, murder board is an interesting um, tool that we use. And it's specifically for those uh, PLs and APLs, but the effort is to get them into the habit of being that reflective practitioner and a big a proponent of that is honest inventories. What really went well for you? You got to know that because you need to capture that and sustain that. And what didn't go well? If you're not willing to own up to that, how do you improve that? Right? So I, I'm not kidding. One, one Shepherd is a leadership institute. It really, really is. It's it's about that. So Hey, hey to piggyback on that, Doc, we've had a, at least twice now. And funny thing is, it's been with the same guy. At least twice now, I've had a PL that I was either OCing or embedded with, and they did it wrong. They did it wrong, but because the enemy did it wrong too, they ended up being successful in their mission. And during that murder board, it's like, you know, they're all on cloud nine because they had a successful mission. And then you start bringing up all this stuff like, hey, I understand that, you know, you accomplished your objective, but have you thought about the fact that you did X, Y, Z 
which could have compromised everything and gotten all your guys killed, right? I'll give you an example. In this particular mission I'm referencing, the <laughs> the PL decided that he was going to take his squad for a raid and walk right down the road in a single file line oh, with, with the anticipation that the enemy was going to confuse them as being one of their own patrols. Okay. <laughs> well, 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 everyone's wearing different uniforms. Well, this was this was like early early morning. Sun has not risen yet. They're still got their MVGs on, mm. uh, so it's still dark, right? But they're like, "Hey, we're going to get in a ranger file. We're going to get on the trail, and we're just going to walk right to the objective on the road. The enemy will think think that we are part of them." <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "You have got to be fucking kidding me!" So they step off, and uh, long story short. They end up getting within, I think, 50 meters of the objective. The enemy sees them, opens up on them. They disperse. Luckily, they had made it close enough to a tree line to where they had only lost about a quarter of their raid force, and they were ultimately able to destroy the objective. But the PL had thought that that was a, a fantastic plan. Hey, it worked. And, yes, he did accomplish his mission. But I told him at the, at the murder board, I said, hey, man, do you think for one second that if this was real world and lives were on the line that you would have done that in real life? And he said, no. <laughs> so I said, if you would, if you would never do that in real life, why would you think that's okay to do that in this simulation? So, you know, that's, yeah, that's a, that's an enfilade uh, yeah. situation. If I've ever heard of one. And if it was a real life deal and they actually did do that, you know, once that, you know, enemy force had opened up, he could have potentially lost everybody's life right there for that one decision that he made to do that. And so that's a strange firefight being on the other end of that. We're like set up in this ambush and like we see these guys just like clear as day, not wearing the right uniform, walking straight at us. And we're like, no way. It's <laughs> crazy. So what you're saying is that it worked. <laughs> well, it worked, it worked right up until everyone just opened fire on them. <laughs> so it, it works. We actually fratricided our entire team, but it turned out it was the enemy. No, so, but, but that's uh, that's the thing, though. Like, you got to put yourself in the shoes of this uh, PL. Like, from his perspective, hey, I I got my guys within close range of the objective, and we neutralized it. Mission accomplished. Greatest plan ever, right? But the murder board. Like I'm sitting there and like, hey man, don't you think that this plan, I understand that you accomplished your mission here, but you would never have done that in real life. You know, what are think about some other ways you could have, you know, cracked this nut because you definitely wouldn't have done that in real life. You would have got all your people killed. <laughs> so, you know, if you're not gonna do it in real life, why would you do it during this simulation? So that's kind of the purpose of the murder board in a nutshell. It's like it's given you as the leader different perspectives and what, you know, the OCs observed during the course of your uh, exercise. I'll, it's great. Yeah. I'll also say that both the, after the lengthy, you know, rather exhaustive AAR at the end of it, and then the murder boards, this, <coughs> excuse me, this allows the instructors and OCs, you know, for the, cause I, I always say, look, we write great measles. We do. We've got fantastic measles. When you go the road to war and you set up the, social, political, economic context that this, you know, this operation is taking place within. And I say, you know, we do all that and we have a tendency as we, uh, you know, as we create these measles to become married to them. And I always have to pull my 
instructors and staff to the side and say, hey, guys, hey, guys, we're turning the school over to them. Once they hit their line of departure, you know, this is their FTX. So they've got boots on the ground decision making and they can see what's going on. We can feed them information, but they still we have to trust their decisions. So we redefine failure. We, this is very much productive failure. You know, uh, I, I go so far as to say you do not you do not pass one shepherd. You do not graduate one shepherd until you failed. And so we we really do define um, redefine failure as productive failure as um, as learning opportunities. And and who doesn't want an opportunity, right? Opportunity is a good thing. Opportunity comes knocking. So we we redefine that. But but the AAR and the murder boards allow us to, uh, you know, you can get as creative as, as you want and, and it can work or it can fail, right? Either way. And, you know, you do get exhausted, uh, you know, and the leader gets exhausted. He's like, you know, uh, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, 44 hours into this. I haven't had any sleep. I'm exhausted. I don't remember the last time I've eaten. I'm pouring over a map and a red, you know, with a red lens flashlight with a poncho over the top of me and trying to come up with these brilliant, you know, command plans. And so you come up with something like, I know, let's just walk single file down the road. All right. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible, it's a horrible idea, but it worked and that's fine. This is the safe place to fail. We purposefully create that, but in the AAR and in that murder board afterwards, you're going to have to come to, you know, you're going to have that come to Jesus meeting where we say, all right, so good on you. That worked. Would you do it again? And, you know, and that's when they all come clean. They're like, hell no, we just got so damn lucky. <laughs> yeah, some people hear the phrase, it's better to be lucky than good and take it as gospel and not just like a. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, you only get they lucky. They are a little bit times. too hard. Yeah, they, you you can't always trust the lucky part. Sometimes you got to be good. And and just from the student's perspective, just to just to give a student perspective of this murder board, um, you kind of need it, uh, you know what I mean, to kind of be able to get because, like Doc said, you're like smoked, like no, you know, we they of course you're supposed to sleep and you're supposed to eat, but it, whether or not you you plan that into your operation is another thing. Um, but like you need that information, and it, like you do get like a little emotional because you haven't slept or eaten. But um, you need that information because the next time you come, those are like lessons learned. Um, and then, you know, everyone's, well, who was your adversary a few hours ago? Then you're swapping, you know, murder board stories with. And you're like, oh, well, what did they think about this? Well, we, you know, this is how we figured this out. And it's just a great tool because I'm still talking to guys that I've done things with, you know, years ago. And we'll still go over some things sometimes. And we get something new out of it every time. We've had problems in the field that, a group of us will talk about like we talked about it for like a couple of months because it was pretty complex just with all the different people and personalities and moving parts and like it didn't you know it didn't come up like you know it wasn't like a crux of the mission but uh it, it's definitely valuable to be able to like do something say yeah sure you can do the ftx but then to have people like your ocs be able to say look this happened this happened what did you think about this how did you do that and it's just even another layer of value um, <clears throat> to, you know, that, that adds to that, that, that one ever has to offer, I, I should say. What would be interesting. Um, and this is something that I gotta have to, or I want to start doing is some of those engagements that you take part of as a student, um, kind of like breaking it down, making a TDG of it and seeing like, okay, cool. Like you can kind of, 
let's say, Joe, you go back and you're talking to your buddies and you're like, all right, cool. Let me show you what happened. Let me show you what we, we, we did. do that in discord uh, sometimes actually. And that's awesome yeah. because you could like, you could just break it down and be like, okay, cool. So this is what doctrinally you would want, probably want to do. Granted, we did it differently because you know, I'm tired of fatigue. I didn't know as much as I did now, X, Y, Z. And these are some of the outcomes and it would, you know, you, you start getting those other situations where you can kind of see like, okay, well, it was, was this like a, out of 10 different ways to run this scenario? Like, were, was I, in, was this one of the worst ways or was this one of the better ways or somewhere in between? And I don't know. I feel like it's one of those, I, I'm a big fan of like TDGs just because they really don't take anything but a sheet of paper and time mm-hmm. and like Super just useful. people to talk to. And it's yeah. just, it, it, it it's a, one of those rainy day exercises. And, you know, I think guys, should take their practical field experiences and, you know, every once in a while, look back on it, especially as time goes on, because you, you should be constantly learning, you know, your first patrol versus your most recent patrol. There's probably a lot that's happened in between. So you can look at that first patrol in retrospect and be like, okay, cool. So, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z happened that first patrol, but I would never do it like that today just because, you know, knowing what I know now, and that's the cool thing about what you guys are saying with those murder boards, with those AARs, is it's it's still fresh in the mind, and you can kind of war game it a little bit after the fact and see like you make sure that the guy who was involved with it gets the message. Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. I'm I'm a big fan of AARs, and the murder board thing is it's the first I've heard of it, and it's kind of a it's a pretty interesting concept. I, I I'm all for it. Especially because, you know, you're saying it's cadre, so it's guys that do have experience kind of giving you the rundown, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's valuable. Yeah, now that all sounds pretty good. What um, what sort of the direction, if you're, are you trying to change anything right now with One Shepherd? And, and, you know, I know that you said that you guys are spreading out and kind of expanding a little bit, but is there anything you guys have coming up that you're excited to do or that you want to shape one shepherd to do? Well, I mean, I, uh, two that I'll mention, but I'll, uh, if you give me a minute, I'll expand on a little bit of them. I mean, yes, first is that we're trying to complete first battalion and then start stretching into second battalion. And so there's a lot in that. Um, the curriculum that we teach, when you look at it, you go online and you look at it, you go, are you going to change the curriculum as you go into new combat and, you know, battle environments? And the answer is no. Because a deliberate attack is a deliberate attack. An area of defense is an area of defense, you know, this sort of thing. A fighting position is a fighting position. But now hold on. It does look different from the jungles to the mountains, to the desert, to the urban. And so there are very different TTPs that are used. So the curriculum itself won't change. But people have asked, you know, hey, are you going to teach new TTPs for the each one of those um, battle environments and the answer is absolutely we have to and so that's kind of exciting people are excited about that and saying wow you know new mexico might be our desert you know warfare thing and i'm like yeah sure and and certainly uh you know bravo company being up in the appalachians yes they're lowland coastal mountains but let me tell you when you're doing you know 800 feet of gain in uh you know in a 1200 meter movement uh (laughs) starts to feel like mountains to me Mm -hmm. um so, oh yeah. Um, so, so there's some really cool stuff going on there you know, within 
um, the Warrior Leader Program. But again, in um, our really exciting expansion is that you know the Warrior Leader Program WLP is there, and it is supported by the Battle Staff Program and the Cadre Development Program. Those are pillars, you know, holding up that table. But now we're looking at adding a whole new one, and that is the Operational Warrior Leader Program, or OWLP, ALP, we just said, oh, ALPIS. And so that's what we call it, the ALPIS. Um, but that's that CGSC for everyone. And so uh, this will not come out in 2024. Uh, we're hoping to make, make this go live in 2025. But, um, you know, we have some good people working on it, not the least of which is our Regimental S7 is a shout out to uh, Major Dylan Warnick, United States Marine Corps. He's out in Hawaii right now. That's where he's stationed. But I think he's headed back this way towards D.C. again here in the next year or so. Um, and so he's been, you know, instrumental working with uh, our chief of staff, which is Matt Getters. Um, and they've really been crunching, um, you know, the, the entire, like I said, we have to stand up an entire program of instruction, a POI. And so this is a, a multi-year effort. But yeah, I, I think what that's that's exciting because obviously it's CGSE for everyone, right? Um, it's it's Command and General Staff College for everyone. But but the way they're envisioning this right now is it will be weekend based. So it'll go like this. This is a typical semester. It'll go. Let's say you have a weekend in February. All right, you're going to do your first one. So okay, boom, you do a weekend. It's actually from your home. It's from the comfort of your own living room. It's all virtual. It is synchronous. It's not asynchronous. It's synchronous. You meet in with your buddies and other people and you talk. Um, now, parts of it may be asynchronous, that is student on computer, but there is at least a component of it that will be hours and hours long, whereby you interact with the people that you are going through this program with and you, didn't, you then have, um, you know, uh, different war games or different applications that you play together for that weekend. And then you're done for that weekend. You're like, oh, okay, well, that weekend's done. But the semester isn't done. A month later, you come back and you do the second um, weekend. And it also is virtual. It's synchronous for the most part, some asynchronous aspects. So you're like, oh, it's all, it's all virtual. No, not all of it. A month later, so that was February, then March, then April. In April, you get your butt up to St. Louis. Um, this is all in your tuition, by the way, not the flight or the drive, but at least when you get there. And we've booked a hotel and you have a hotel room and catered meals and you go downstairs and then there's a conference center with breakout rooms and there's a blue four and an op four and you're doing operational level war fighting through a computerized game with your team in one room and the op four in a whole different room. And you go through the whole entire thing. You are assigned a staff position. You're doing, you know, it's a staff X. So you're breaking out into your FX cells. You're doing your commander's update brief, your battle update briefs, all of this in a turn-based uh, simulated game. And you're geographically co-located in St. Louis. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's like huge. Impressive. That's yeah, this is yeah, there's a lot of people with their hands in a lot of different things in the organization. So it's, you're able to bring, a, they're able to bring a lot. Uh, and, and try new things and, and stuff like we're getting to the point where we're doing stuff like this now. It's just really amazing to see from just a well, couple of years ago. I mean, I mean, Joe, you've seen me talk about it online. I, I feel like it's the greatest efficiency in like the, you know, responsible armed citizen like realm is just like, 
you don't have a lot of guys that can really wrap their heads around. Right now, you your best bet is like the like a former infantry officer or something or someone you know like a lieutenant colonel or major. But you know, seeing that realm open up is exciting. It's uh, it's going to hopefully be revolutionary, and you're going to see more of it. Um, yeah, because that's and that's you know that's a huge step. It's a huge progression from you know. It's how do I make? It's the big picture, you know, for lack of a better term. It is the big picture. Yep, and and I tell you, you know, um, Joe isn't wrong. We have some really some heavy hitters. We've got a couple of guys in the program now, and uh, one of them already in, in, in the staff, and they're from Bohemia. Like these guys were. Uh, on the ground, making Arma and virtual battle space. They were with nice. yeah, and so we're bringing some pretty heavy hitters into this uh, program. So yeah, again, we're looking at um, you know breathing life into that about 2025. Um, but that's going to take one shepherd in a whole new direction. You know that just builds on a wonderful tradition that we've had for the last 42 years. Yeah, it's a. I think that's the natural evolution right there right as how would you you know and imagine your guy going through the uh like your warrior leaders course and you know you progress through that and then you get to that battle staff sort of level or that command level oh yeah and it's like okay now i'm giving these guys their orders like now i'm making it why are these orders framed this way why are we doing this what overall goal are we achieving and it's it's just it's impressive. It's exciting, dare I say. Yeah. No, we, we're very excited about it. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, so I, I would say look for that um, to grow as well as look at eventually um, in the next handful of years, we are shooting to start work on, um, you know, 2nd Battalion out in the mountain states. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Well, uh, Brent, you have anything to to add to that um yeah i just uh i guess i want to say that you know you heard us talking this whole time about one shepherd but you, you never told us or you never heard us say like hey one shepherd is better than any other place or don't go to the you know xyz training come to us like we've said quite the opposite like go to all those trainings and come to us <laughs> mm -hmm. um and on that, on that note, I want to say like, Hey, you know, there's some things that one shepherd don't do. Right. And one of those things is cold weather package training. Like one shepherd may have had as some stuff in the past, but they don't offer currently a cold weather package. Right. But our sister training organization, SNS training solutions, they offer a winter forge package, which is uh, either the structure and model on how they teach that is, is very identical to one shepherd like if you're a one shepherd alumni and you go to this sns winter forge training package like you're going to feel quite at home uh, it's very similar even some of the cadre is very similar but um, it's ran from the same facility yeah in uh missouri so that's coming up in uh, january it's usually around mlk weekend uh so if guys it's are in february this year uh second week of february okay well thanks thanks for that uh but if guys are interested in that uh, the prereq for that is just that you have some uh, competency. You can reach out to SNS uh, Training Solutions because uh, that's not the training package to learn how to 
do you know small unit freaking patrolling tactics right like <laughs> you need to you need to already know that stuff because you're coming to winter forge to learn how to operate in a cold weather environment but uh it's it's just there's there's fantastic training opportunities out there guys whether it's with uh one shepherd whether it's with sns training solutions or some of the other uh training companies that doc mentioned earlier um you know one shepherd has a very bright future so absolutely check out one shepherd uh, as well as some other training that's offered out there. At the end of the day, a lot of the stuff ends up being complimentary. Um, at the end, you know, like it's all to build. Like I, I, I would hope that a lot of these training organizations, you know, One Shepherd, other organizations that might offer, you know, similar courses and whatnot. Uh, I've mentioned quite a few throughout the p- different podcasts and, uh, Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the vision is the same as to make better people. And I, I, you know, you guys seem to really fit that bill, as do a lot of other companies out there. So the like having that heavy exclusivity, like when a company comes out and says like, oh, well, don't take anyone else's. I got I'm a one stop shop. It's like it's kind of like, like, are you sure? <laughs> so it's, it's nice to hear it from you guys to be like, yeah, no. Do, do those and do ours. And it's like, that's perfect. That's a, a good direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, if, if you're going to other courses and then you show up to one shepherd, you know, some of the things might be slightly different. I'm assuming like hand and arm signals or how certain things are structured or whatever. But, you know, the, the idea of it is that you can adapt to different things and, you know, it's not that difficult to see like, okay, these people use this formation instead of this, what I'm used to. Okay. I'm just going to adjust and stand in a different spot, but then you still know how to react to contact and you still know, you know, your basic patrolling, exactly all that stuff. So yeah. Like how the Marines don't know what a wedge is, but, uh, uh Oh, here we go. Uh Oh, sign up for, no, an- sign up for another two hours. Um, <laughs> hold on. Doc, uh, you want to plug the, the website here you guys know everything offhand here it's it's uh, simply www.thenumber1shepherd.com so uh as in the the number one and then s-h-e-p-h-e-r-d.com if you even write in the just one shepherd um we'll be the number one or number two hit in google i mean it's, yeah. we're just gonna come i mean so there's that but um I will say this, that uh, we just finished Bravo Company. We just finished the last semester of 2023. So uh, that training year is done. And um, the spring semesters will go live. They'll go live. That is open registration on 1 February. So 1 February is always our um, open registration for the spring semesters, but not the fall semesters. You can't register for that until open registration 1 August. So one February, one August, and then just jump in and, you know, register is all I can tell you. It's, 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 it pretty much is first come first serve. And, uh, and we've been selling out, you know, very quickly, not, not every semester sells out in three days, but then again, some semesters do. So just be advised, you know, um, what, get what's like the average cost of, of a slot? Um, Right now, it's, you know, I, I tell people expect about $1,000 a semester, right? Um, if I, I'll go ahead and say this it's about $1,000 a semester. 
if you're between the ages, what we call our trad warriors, our traditional warriors, if you're between the ages of 14, because we won't take you any younger than 14, like we recommend 16 and higher, um, but we will take 14 and 15 year olds, you know, um, anyway, if you're between the ages of 14 and 22, it's half price. Just click the trad warrior and it, it'll ask you for a code. The code is T R A D trad, you know, but it, it, it cuts that it cuts the tuition right in half. The other guys, what I'm saying is the other uh, warriors subsidize that. They literally subsidize that in their tuition. And that's an agreement going back many, many, many moons ago. Um, because if you go way back into our history, you find that we didn't allow anybody. You had to be 14 to 22. And if you were older than 22, I guarantee you, you were an instructor or, or staff because we didn't allow it. Um, so many, many, many moons ago, a couple of decades ago, um, all these professionals came to us and said, stop that, stop doing that. We want in. And I said, I can't, we're, we're a nonprofit. We break even, no one's paid. And they're like, yeah, yeah, dumbass. Here's how you do that. You charge me twice as much as them. And then I'll bring my, both of my boys with me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I get what you're saying. And so we did it. And I mean, I, I, we, I, I say like, it was like, a, a on a, you know, on a whim, not at all. We pulled all sorts of, uh, community members and non-community members. And they all said, of course, that's exactly how that should happen. You know, the trad warriors should benefit from us adults, you know, guys with jobs and careers, us coming to it, they should benefit those trad warriors. And so, um, I do, I'm belaboring this to say that trad warriors ages 14 to 22 half price. Uh, and that includes, you know, like the, obviously the institution supplying all the blanks you're going to use your right meals, meals, lodging, lodging, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, um, we'll even run pickups to airports sometimes. Yep, um, we pick people up. Now, I mean, it's it's turnkey. You show up with the prescribed, you know, uniforms and and that, uh, you know, and the field gear, or rent the field gear from us for a hundred bucks a semester. But um, you show up the uniforms and the and the gear, and, and we issue you everything. We issue all your logistics. We take care of all of that. You're not going to feed yourself. We'll feed you. Yeah, you know, we we'll provide lodging. You sleep with us. You and learn. Food's good. Yeah, yeah. We we have it catered and everything else. Now, and when you're in an FTX, the food is MRE, so it's definitely not good. Mm -hmm. But unless it's chili <laughs> mac, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, okay, you, you just gotta fight me for the chili mac is a problem. I'm not gonna yeah, fight. You get to you get to eat like a king in the field. Yeah, yeah, I've had I've had too much people. chili mac in my life. I'm I'm a shredded beef guy. I now. haven't had enough. Oh my God, man. That's all ass cancer. But the good news is <laughs> um, the good news is there's a steak and a cold beer waiting for you at the other end, man. You just, you know, right around 1600, 1800 on Friday evening, you're going in 24 hours. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be eating a great big 16 ounce, one pound steak. Um, so, uh, so we feed you well at the end of it, but no, it, it takes care of like uh, Joe was saying. Your uh, pyrotechnics, your munitions, your weapon, your miles, your yep, radios, flares, yeah, radios. yeah, yeah. It's gonna take care of all that. It's yeah. we're, we're we're that's all provided. Yeah, and it, it's definitely you know once you put it out like that, and the fact that you guys are a, a nonprofit, it it makes sense, right? Like the the cost when you start wrapping in everything is is more than worth it because you guys aren't doing it to make money. No, we it break is, even. It is Sunday to Saturday, technically. It's really yeah. Saturday to Sunday. 
but yeah, it's nine days in reality, but it's seven days of training, seven solid days of training. Yeah, but it's like yeah, weekend, people, weekend. Yeah, people start showing up on Saturday, you know, just coming in and you know, getting in. Oh, where where's the bags? All right, there's my bunk. Wait, hey, let me get a cot, and they get a cot, and they go in and, and meet people and start unpacking stuff like that. And there's a chili dinner on Saturday night, and then zero six hundred um, Sunday morning. There's Reveille, and we go out and we start doing bayonet drills. Um, and so that, that starts it and, you know, and the murder boards kind of wrap up, you know, on Saturday uh, evening, uh, seven days later. And so then everybody has a good steak and beer. And let me tell you, they're exhausted. They go back to their bunk, dirty and that <coughs> dirty and nasty, and they fall asleep. And then everybody gets up on Sunday morning, you know, at oh dark 30 people up there about zero six, zero seven. They're like, all right, time to get back, start heading home or get to the airport or whatever it is. So, Yeah. It's a nine-day event, but it's seven days of training per semester. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely definitely worth it then, 100%. So, well, I appreciate you guys coming on for sure. Yeah, Tyler, yeah. I just want to plug our uh, Instagram. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah. starting out, but it's probably a good place to go because everybody's probably on Instagram. Uh, it's the number one shepherd, uh, like the website, but – one Shepherd Leadership Institute, all one word, no underscores or periods. Um, and there's a link tree there that'll take you to the website and a little YouTube video kind of describing uh, what it is that uh, One Shepherd does. Sweet. Yeah, and, and I'll put all this stuff in the description too, so that way... Okay, cool. Cool, cool. That way guys will see it if they don't sit through the entire thing. Yeah. All right. Any parting thoughts, guys? Anything you guys want to... Yeah, I'll just say I'll just, I'll just mention in case uh, for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't seen my YouTube channel, I've I've done the best job I I can possibly do of documenting like your experience at the One Shepherd Institute from you know start to finish, you know a whole covering a whole semester starting from you know the initial events such as the Basic Warriors course, going into the situational training exercise and culminating with the final field training exercise at the end so if you want to know what one shepherd is or want to get a first-hand view of it check out my uh one shepherd playlist on my youtube channel brent zero three one and uh that should give you a you know holistic picture of what the uh the program is all about brent is our our official recruiter man i mean that's like we, you know, <laughs> well that's where i heard of, from it yeah, yeah, no, that's how I've heard of it. Of course, yeah. I'm telling you. Brett's face. Now, now, the Army needs to come to One Shepherd just to learn how to recruit from, uh, you know, from Brent. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully Brent doesn't put up, like, a One Shepherd ad with, like, two moms or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny is uh, I show up at One Shepherd and people, all these people look at me like I'm a celebrity there. And I, I tell them, I'm like, dude, this is the only place in the face of the earth where people look at me as a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's shit about me anywhere else. <laughs> it's funny because when you're like, "Oh yeah," if, if you haven't, you know, checked out my YouTube or anything, and I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm willing to bet that the vast majority of people that listen to this podcast like grew up watching you on YouTube. Yeah, I was about to say like, I don't think you need to plug your YouTube. They know who you yeah. are. <laughs> Doc's still older. <laughs> <laughs> but more handsome definitely more handsome shoot doc i i like your youtube page too I've, oh yeah doc. i'd be lying if i said i haven't sat YouTube there and page. listened to quite a bit of your stuff it's 
pretty profound. <laughs> it's actually just being ripped off from one shepherd. Is most of it's just absolutely rip, uh, ripping off, plagiarizing one shepherd, and they let me get away with it. So that's good to refresh before you got to go to semester. Just jump on a YouTube page.